You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everybody. It's America. We're back for another session of In the Open. Hi, everybody. It's Teresa. So today we're going to be talking about the good, bad, and the ugly of exercise and eating well for our mental health. This is in line with the series that we're having for Mental Health Month. So I know for me that both exercising and eating well are not strong things that I engage in. So I think most of our listeners know that you and I both struggle with this. <laughs> we're not, I know what the impact is on my life. And I have had periods of my life where I was very good about exercising regularly. But I know because of my mental health struggles, I cannot exercise alone. I'm not self-motivated to exercise. Mm -hmm. So I have to do it with people and it's really hard. And so I often have to reach a point where I'm so desperate that I will choose to engage in exercise or I have to have really strict accountability to do it. And I just wish it wasn't that way. (laughs) Yeah, I can can connect with that like a a thousand percent. But- Let's explore a little bit about the why, the, the why, and and what research sh- tells us about eating well and exercising, and what it actually does mean for our overall well being. Okay, and I think the why when I get into a tough spot, I don't know if you do this, but I try to tell myself in my brain. I try to think about the science to help me understand why I need to do what I do when I'm making good choices. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's really helpful to understand the science about why it's hard to engage in exercise and eating well as, as well, because they're not solutions that act fast. Does, (laughs) Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. Okay. And it might be useful for people to hear the science behind it because it's not just you know, it's not just somebody saying, oh, yeah, you should do it because it's good for you. No, there's actual science behind it. Research shows, right? <laughs> okay, why does it help? So one, it can help the way that your brain functions. It gives you good quality activity in your brain that can help you reduce some of the issues that may arise if you live with a mental health condition, like dealing with some of the neurotransmitters like serotonin. Okay, that's interesting. So that's important. So the chemical compounds that get fired into your brain are impacted by the bad things we eat and the good things we eat, which is why it's interesting that food addiction, sugar addiction, these are kind of like a a bad side of the coin to eating well. Totally. There's also in the brain, this is horrible, and I I feel like I just need to say this to the listeners, like neither America nor I are experts in nutrition or brain health. (laughs) Correct. We are trying to interpret what we read and understand from science as just people (laughs) living every day, trying to make sense of this stuff for our own well-being. But is there also something about, okay, in your brain cells, there's this thing called a myelin sheath. And it's like the covering around your neuron or something like that. And when you're healthy and you're eating well, 
it helps that myelin sheath build in a healthy way that helps your brain think, fire, shoot well, right? So it's not just the chemicals that are being shot. It's also the health of the neuron itself. Yeah, it's also... Just make that up? No, it's it's also tied to... You're talking about the the myelin sheath, but it's it's the structure, right? The actual physical structure of our brain. The brain that, itself, yeah. Yes, that then gets influenced by the the healthy foods we eat and the exercise that we do. So even though I think Teresa, you're totally right, we're not experts in this space. I I know for I know for a fact when I have been better about maintaining like a good. Um, Good health habits. Good health habits. Thank you. Around exercise, for example, I felt better. I, I'm, you know, I, I didn't feel as emotionally heavy, and I could feel like at the beginning of a walk, for example, I feel maybe like, oh God, why the hell do I have to do this? But after walking for thirty minutes, I'm like, oh man, that felt so good. Yeah, there's a bit of the reward, and literally, we do feel better. Yeah, and, and the reward the reward mechanism that is and and ends up working in our body is based on the dopamine that is being released in our body. So there is a lot of content on our website around neurotransmitters so that you can understand them a little bit more so that you don't just have to take our word for it. Please go like read a little bit more about it. Well, and from a whole body perspective, I mean, there's got to be something about when my heart is doing well and it's pumping blood totally. the way it should pump and it's pumping blood to my brain the way it should pump. And when I eat good foods, it's just building my body to process better. So if you think of your body as a machine, when I'm not eating well, and then I also have a brain that's trying to kill myself, like it's built in a way that's slowed down and like has gunk in it. It's just like the physical toxicity (laughs) that is accumulated. (laughs) This sounds so like... It sounds so woo-woo, but it's literally true, right? Do- totally. Okay. Totally. The other thing about what you're mentioning, and, and this is the last thing I'm going to say about it, there are certain chemicals in, in, our, in our brain and our body that are both good and bad, right? Like you can get a rush of energy from the endorphins that you feel after going like, you know on a long hike or something like that. Or um, some people, if they're runners, they get like the runner's high and they feel like pumped after that. But endorphins are also happening when we experience stress or pain. So the way that our body interacts with those neurotransmitters and all of the different chemicals in our our brain are ultimately going to influence our day-to-day functioning. So that's a lot of science behind it. But I think it's so important to to set the stage for people to understand we're not just we're not experts, but we've lived it. Let's talk about the nutrition piece for a second. Okay, go ahead. Because nutrition is is highly connected to how we feel, right? Like the higher uh, fatty foods you eat and the more sugar you eat, that slows down how our bodies are going to function. You were talking about like heart, right? Heart stuff going on. The diet that is higher in fatty foods is less healthy because that impacts your heart and it can impact your cholesterol and all that. But there's also a distinction between healthy fats and bad fats. There's yes. been a ton of research, right, on fish oils. Correct. Eating fish oils, eating the right amount of omega-3 to omega-6 ratio 
that helps to build healthy brains and healthy hearts. And there's been a ton of research on that in particular, or eating a lot of leafy greens. Totally. Like when you have a, a diet that's more processed, like um, fried and sugary foods, it has less nutritional value. But foods like that you were mentioning, like fish and whole grains, vegetables and nuts, they have good quality fat that is helpful for our brain function. And then in terms of the leafy greens, folate and folic acid. Mm-hmm. Okay, but this is the thing, right? Like, is it the case that the way sugar processes in your body versus how a folate or a vitamin processes in your body, that screws with us. Everybody knows and feels this, right? When I eat French fries, I feel like I'm on cloud nine. I can tell it's hitting an addictive behavior. Uh, the brain? Neuro- yes. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's triggering and I'm sure it's tied to my addiction to it or how we ate it as children and maybe I got it as a treat or it was like, yeah, you know, like I'm, I I literally have a Pavlovian response to certain fast food places where I, I drive by <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is how I was loved. Yes. <laughs> it's so bad. And it's so fast, like versus eating a salad, I feel like whatever it's doing to my body and the way that it makes me feel good, it doesn't hit me the same way as how bad food hits my brain. Yeah. I think part of what you're talking about, though, is is also learned, right? For example, in my Bolivian family, right, like we eat a lot of rice and potatoes. Mm. But my mom has incorporated a lot more vegetables, you know, when we grew up and uh, we don't eat a lot of fish, like as a culture, we don't generally eat a lot of fish, but I do, right? Because I enjoy it. But it, it goes back to also understanding maybe some of the cultural aspects of some of the foods that we eat. And not everybody's going to go eat salmon, you know? Yeah. But there's way to, I think, to incorporate some of the good things and detract from the sugar high that you get and that emotional reward. Yeah. And then you can't you cannot talk about healthy habits without talking about those rewards and mm-hmm. the and the timeliness of those rewards. Because I feel with exercise when you're talking about like I know if I go out for a walk I'm going to feel good, right? Yeah. And it's true. Like I know if I can go take a walk I will feel good at the end of the walk. So the reward is there and it's immediate. It's really the motivation it's the pre-workout that's the barrier. But if I can get beyond that in small bits, just get out the door. Put on your shoes. Put on your socks. Walk out the door. Yeah. I think in one of the conversations we had, um, I don't remember in what episode it was, but we were talking about how like, you know that you'll feel better after you take a shower. Yeah. But the act of like, actually going and deciding I'm going to take a shower at the beginning, you're still not going to feel good. It's still like a task that has to be done. And knowing that at the end of it, we will feel better. But it's also this idea too, like you have to do some mental prep work. I know that for me to go and take a walk, it's going to take more effort. So to do nothing. Yes. Yeah. Like, play on my phone, sit in front of the TV. So I then have to be like, remember after 
the other day you went for a walk with the dog. You felt so much better and more relaxed. Remember, you know, like trying to hype myself up to engage in, in that. So I love that we're moving to tricks. That feels like the right natural progression. So one of your tricks is to hype yourself up. Mm-hmm. I have to get to a place where I'm so bad, I'm guilted and shamed. By whom? Myself and the okay. disgust I have with myself. And also I have family who make side comments, you know, so they're generally supportive. I know it comes from a place of concern. I'm, I feel really lucky that I don't have – I haven't internalized the things that they've said and turned it into an eating disorder, you know, because it could be taken that way. When I was little, it felt like they were said, oh, you're so fat, you know? Mm. But they've gotten better and now it's you need to exercise, you know, you should be – we need to work on being healthy and now I'm older. So it's like don't have a heart attack. <laughs> don't die. <laughs> Do you relate with that where you just have to get to such a desperate place? And I don't know if it's because of how hard it is to maintain good, healthy exercise and eating habits consistently that I don't know why. For me, I have to get to a place of shame or disgust to compel myself <laughs> to make better choices. I have gotten there. I've, got, I've experienced that. I remember at some point in my 20s, I was like, that's it. That's it. And I just like, put on like, you know, workout gear, or whatever. And I went running. And I remember coming home, my grandpa was visiting. And he was like, where did you go? And I was like, I went running. He was like, you don't run. <laughs> and I was like, I did today. But that was the impetus to be like, I can do this, man. Like, you gotta stop this crap that's going on in your head. It's a motivator, I think. And especially if you're not feeling well, Motivation is what people say holds them back from consistency. There's also effort that's put into it to get up and to exercise, take some form of effort and dis discipline. Making a meal, a healthy meal. Also requires discipline. And time effort. and mm -hmm. money. Yes. It's okay to acknowledge that. But how do we get beyond it? So do you have tricks that help you get beyond that barrier for, for eating well? I think we've talked about exercise. What about making a healthy meal? I think one of the things that we missed on the exercise piece is finding somebody to do exercise with because I am less likely to hold myself accountable. Like if my cousin will call and say, hey, I'm outside, come walk with me. I'm more likely to go out. Oh, yeah, 100%. So yeah, because I know shame is a motivator for me, I think it would feel very shameful if I committed myself to meeting someone to do something and to bail on them. Yes. That's probably my last stop. If I cannot shame myself into self-exercise, I, I make myself meet up or do something with someone because I know that's the fire. If I know that I can get somebody to commit to exercising with me, I will. I feel so guilty about failing that moment that I I will do it. And what's really funny, oh God, this is so horrible. In this last bout of experience, and I don't know what it was with COVID or whatever, I found that it made avoidance of accountability buddy even easier. Mm. And I don't know if it's because we all got so used to being alone that it made it really easy to just to avoid the people in my life who I know would hold me more accountable. 
that's and not talk to them because I think that they will say something about wanting to go exercise with me and instead I can just hide in my house yeah I, I feel it's definitely easier to avoid it but I think one of the hardest struggles is to really look at the problem right and say okay this is why I'm not happy about x thing and then make a decision to do something about it so when you think about food for example for me Portion control, I think, is something that's very important. Like, I I don't want to give up cupcakes, right? I love cupcakes, but I'm not going to go and grab a cupcake every day. So every once in a while, it's a special treat that I give myself. And then other things that I try to do is buy products that are going to be healthier and try not to bring as many sugary products or fried products into the household because if they're there... You know, they're eaten. Yeah. Yeah. You cook though too, right? I do. And that has helped. Actually, one thing that's been really interesting is having to cook for other people means I also felt compelled to cook better foods. It's okay for me to eat trash, (laughs) but I can't feed other people trash food all the time. Right. Post-COVID, it has been so much harder for me to choose healthy things. I'm going to go back to that theme, right? So I am I am at the worst in my health today than I have ever been in my entire life. And I hate that. One of the things I started looking to was around inter- intermittent fasting. Mm, okay. I have considered that too. I don't know. I wasn't motivated to eat well, but I could – set limits around what I was eating and when I was eating specifically. And so that made it easier for me to start that training, the discipline, which is part of what's hard, I think, around mental health. So if I just told myself, as long as you don't eat past seven or don't eat past nine, and then when you wake up the next morning, you can start eating again at X. It was easier to implement a simple task than to say something so global, like, you need to eat well. Does right. that make sense? It's It feels it so hard to think about how I'm supposed to go shopping and eat well. So I just – but I could say, don't eat past this time and start eating again this time. You can only eat from this time to this time. Just as a way to start. And I, and I could tell that with my body doing that – got me, I I would say if I had to put a number to it, like 30% better, but it's not the whole thing, right? I know I still need to, I know I need to walk. I still have heart things that are going on that are wild. I still have brain fog, but I don't know. I don't know how to take these next steps. I'm not eating horribly either. That's the hard thing. I don't know. It's a scale thing. It's it's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I am Eating 60% bad food and 40% good food. And somewhere in my brain, I say, well, I'm eating 40% good food, so it's probably fine. (laughs) And I know that's not true. Where I think I have to hold myself much more accountable is in recognizing – I can put those limits like you're not going to eat after a certain hour. That's fine. And I'm going to give myself grace because I know like if if I'm working until late, it's less likely for me to try to have a healthy meal. 
So what I've tried to do is prepare for that and then have like things that are already cooked at home. So I don't go and purchase things like fast food on the way home because it's there, you know? This is so interesting. So a pattern is emerging as I discuss with you Mm. how our personality differences have led us to different strategies because you're a planner, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're a planner. You like order. If you lean on that strength, then planning makes sense that that would be the way that you can anticipate and work on those skills. I am not a planner, but I am – as a shame-based extreme person, I have to push and do these weird things. Like I have to do intermittent fasting. And I I remember there was a period of my life where, again, I got so desperate. I tried this diet called the Whole30 diet. Have you ever heard? I've heard of it, but I've never done it. Oh, man. There are these extreme dieting situations. And I don't know what it is about those tricks that it was interesting to me. And I will just say this is my mental health brain did go to this. I had to do something extreme. I cut out all bad foods and I told myself for 30 days I could not eat anything except meat, salad, vegetables, and nuts. Did it work? Yeah. So what was wild was it was all Whole30 foods, which also meant I cut out gluten, sugar, all grains. Let me tell you, the scariest thing about that experience was that After 14 to 20 days, it was like depression and brain fog was gone. It did not cure my anxiety. (laughs) The anxiety was always there. But I didn't, I wasn't in the bouts of a depressed episode either. So, but even though I have depressed episodes, I also have a lingering fog that I don't associate with depression, but it, I can tell it's kind of the same way that I feel when I'm depressed. But when I did the whole 30, whoa, that was the first time in my life that I really, really recognized that what I ate clearly impacted my brain. Because after 14, 20 days, I was more energized, energy and clarity, period. Uh, Everything that you said does make sense to me where I don't like doing those types of diets. For me, they're not sustainable. So I feel like crap once I'm not able to keep up with this thing and change my lifestyle that mm-hmm. it's going to meet and help me keep myself the way that I've where I've gotten. I can't either. I don't know that I feel guilty, but what it has done is it helps me you know how you said remember America, you feel good. Yeah. That's what that diet helps me to do. I use it as an example to say, hey, Teresa, remember when you ate really well or you really cut back on sugar, you felt amazing. Those tricks, I think, are useful. If, for example, you you say, I'm not going to eat white rice or processed white bread, but I'm going to eat whole grains or whatever, then I can push myself towards those goals by incorporating them more on a regular basis. What I don't want people to think, you're going to go make these changes and everything's going to be better. Uh, Every, things yeah. can get better. You, Your body can feel better generally because you are exercising or eating well. But it does take effort and patience for, to, for you to see the results, which was one of the things that you said they're not, they're not immediate. From a health lifestyle 
Mm-hmm. Are you 60% bad food, 40% good? Are you 50-50? Where are you? I would say I am 50-50. Do you know in your lifetime when you were eating better what the percentage of eating well to eating bad foods was that made you feel good? I would say it wasn't the bad foods that I was eating. It was the fact that I was exercising more while maybe eating bad foods. Oh, so for you, exercise was a bit, had a bigger impact than yeah, eating well. Yeah, totally. You know what? You're right. When I was exercising hard and I had a lot of people being accountable to me, I could eat much more poorly and it still was fine. Right. But I was also younger. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wonder if there's research that shows that exercise is even more important than eating well, which kind of makes sense for us as human beings. We were intended to run and hunt and move our bodies. We weren't completely designed to sit around in front of a computer, but eating was challenging, right? As foragers or hunters, we weren't always going to have food readily available to us all the time. And so let me tell you, when I was in New York, maybe two, three weeks ago, and in a day being in New York, I walked nine miles. Wow. Yeah. And I said to myself, if you can do this here, why can't you do that at home? So it made me really think, why are you not getting up and moving? One, it's, it's the lifestyle, right, where I have to sit in front of a computer. Yeah. But that means that I have to modify my behavior to find the time to do it. Yeah. The commitment. So it's possible. I was going to say it. If you had to, if I answer my own question, like when did I have to eat well enough to offset the bad eating? I I feel like it's somewhere between, it's like 80%. Like I have to eat 80 to 90% well and eating bad stuff, it just feels so good in the moment, but it is like addiction, you know? It's, it's so, it, it just causes so much junk in your body that even a little bit of it is kind of problematic, especially if I'm not exercising. Do you feel like that's true? I do feel like that's true. Which makes it hard because how many of us are doing like an 80%, 80, 90% good foods and, and 10% bad foods? You know, most of us aren't. We're, we are more like 50-50 or 60-40 or, uh, and bad food is everywhere. It's, I think we have to be mindful of how we can incorporate both exercise and eating well into our lives given that we may have listeners that, you know, if they're younger, their folks may cook for them or they may prepare their own meals. Or if, you know, you're a mom and you're preparing meals for others, there are ways to do better for ourselves. And this is just one piece of the larger puzzle of your overall well-being. So, But I like that we landed on exercise. I don't think that I had ever thought about that in my life. And it's true that no matter what happens, you can try to move your body. Definitely. And it's free. Yeah. Try to find some peace with this. I I struggle with this all the time. So I have to be very conscious of the fact that I know I have my limitations, but I'm trying to move beyond them. Mm-hmm. I... I'm going back to that avoidance piece. For me, 
while I, I love some of the insights you shared and I know I can move my body and that might be where I need to take my next incremental step, I can't make better choices if I know that I'm actively avoiding the situation entirely and I have to address why why am I avoiding it? Yeah. And I'm not going to be motivated if I just keep not wanting to think about it because if I have shame, I'm avoiding that too, right? I'm avoiding feeling bad about the bad choices that I'm making. So I have to confront it. Oh God. Well, on that note, we're going to, we're going to close out and we will talk to you all next week. All right. Thanks everybody. Keep on fighting in the open. Bye.